This is On Being's Unheard Cuts. I'm Krista Tippett. You're listening to my unedited conversation with Patrick Belgard-Smith. He's a professor of Africology at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. I spoke with him on May 16, 2007, from the studios of American Public Media in St. Paul, Minnesota. He was in the studios of public radio station WHAD in Milwaukee. Download the MP3 of the produced show at onbeing.org. You know, this is, we get to have a real conversation because it's not yes. live and, uh, and you know I'll do justice to it because you've heard the show. <laughs> so, many, many times. Yeah. I wake up early on Sunday morning for this. Right. And so, um, <clears throat> and it doesn't have to, you know, we, it may or may not be completely linear, but we can really just uh, sure. talk about what this. It's actually for my subject matter, it's best for it not to be linear. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little too western for All me. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's just begin. Um and and actually this is a play this is a, a question a version of a question I ask everyone whatever we're talking about. You know, I'd, I'd like to hear about um the the religious background of your childhood. You know, in your case, um as I understand it, you spent most of your childhood and young adulthood in Haiti. As a yes. descendant of one of Haiti's very prominent uh, families, tell me, you know, how voodoo figured in your life growing up, you know, how it was manifest, what, what it mean to you. Well, <laughs> it's quite intriguing because I, I realized all of this after I had left Haiti and I, after I had come to the United States. My immediate family um, was not concerned about these issues, and as a matter of fact, they were quite opposed to them, at least formally. Mm. Uh, as it turns out, the immediate family, the nuclear family, is not the important segment of Haitian society. Right. It's the extended family. Okay. And I realized decades after the fact that I had had uh, great-grandparents and grandparents and people of that ilk who had been practitioners, uh, but it was never talked about in hmm. the immediate family. Uh, but in Haiti, as elsewhere, and I'm finding that in African-American society, some of it obtains as well, uh, you have someone who takes care of business so that others don't have to. <laughs> and so you can pretend to be Europeanized, you can pretend to be civilized, uh, but somebody else is doing the hard work. Okay. Were, was your family Catholic? I mean, Haiti was officially well, Catholic yes. until not was too long ago. Although. Until 1987, oh, right. uh, when um, um, uh, the Constitution opened up the terrain to all religious systems. Uh, officially Catholic, ostensibly, ostensibly mm -hmm. Catholic, but my family never went to church. I was the one member who did go to church alone <laughs> as a young, as <laughs> in my 9, 10, 11 years old. Okay. I would wake up very early in the morning and go to church uh, alone, essentially. Um, but my family had a very close relationship with the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. The Archbishop of Port-au-Prince was a constant visitor to my, to, to my grandfather's home, okay. who was in the same yard uh, uh, as, as my family's, my, my mother's house. And so uh, I, I saw all these priests. I also went to parochial schools. Those were the best schools at that point mm -hmm. in the country. Mm -hmm. And so it was ostensibly a Roman Catholic background, but not really so. So did you really become uh, intrigued uh, both personally and, uh, and academically by this tradition 
uh, this this tradition of Haiti, this this national religion of Haiti, essentially, um, when you came to this country? Well, this is rather common, it seems, among Haitians who leave Haiti. Mm -hmm. Uh, They become very intrigued by it once they have reached the United States or France or Canada and elsewhere because it becomes part of their Haitianness. All of a sudden, they discover cultural roots they never knew they had. So that's part of the process itself. In my particular case, I did not become interested in this academically. I became interested in it uh, as, as a person who is looking at his uh, social origins and those kinds of things. Mm, and where and were you then what, when you first came here? Were you always in Wisconsin? Well, I was in upstate New York. Okay. Um, I, my, my first degree is from Syracuse University at Utica, Utica College. Yeah. And then I lived uh, more than 10 years in Washington, D.C., where I got Miami and my Ph.D. Mm-hmm. in international politics. So I was as far from religion as you can imagine. Right. Uh, but as a matter of fact, I don't see any contradiction in any of this. Uh, but my first involvement occurred about 20, 25 years ago when I was very, very specifically called by the spirit world to do something about this. And usually one does not recoil from that kind of demand. One follows, uh, one follows what it is that we need to do. Um, and so it was a very personal uh, pilgrimage, as it were. Um, and uh, so I took it from there. All right. Well, tell me about that. What what happened? How how did you know that you had been called by the spirit world? What, what was that experience? Well, we have a uh, process in the Haitian system and also uh, in the systems of West Africa and those of Cuba and Brazil where we we get strong indication of that something needs to be done. We call it landomi, and in the sleep stage, but it's not really a sleep stage, where the spirit world is simply very, very insistent that you do certain kinds of things and you take certain kinds of actions. So it comes kind of and in the, you yeah, had kind of, you had yeah. a, what maybe someone someone else might call a dream. Yes, someone else might call it a dream, but folks who know these things will say it's not really a dream mm-hmm. because one can distinguish between dreaming uh, and, and other kinds of uh, things that are happening in that particular state. It reminds me of the Aborigines in Australia also in terms of the dream time. The dream time, uh, yes. Yes, yes. Very, very similar, in fact, uh, things that take place at that point. And at the very same time, precisely at the same moment, other family members of mine were also getting those dreams, but slightly different. They were saying, uh, the heritage of the tradition belongs to Patrick, belongs to me, not to you. You have a different heritage. Precisely in the same moment I was dreaming these things, other people were dreaming other things as well, uh, buttressing what it is that we needed to do collectively. Can you, you know, can you recreate that the, those are, those early dreams or that calling for me? You know, tell, give me more detail about yes, what happened. Yes, it's, it's really interesting because <laughs> uh, the spirit world uh, appears to you in the forms of persons, persons, people who are well, actually, embodied spirits, and they are not they don't have bodies, but in order for you to understand the process itself, that's the way they appear and in my particular instance, 
Uh, it was in the form of my great-grandmother, a woman whom I knew. Mm. She was born on December 25th, 1855, and she died in 1952. Mm. And I was a young youngster then when she died, but I remember her quite well. And I remember her funeral that uh, took place inside the home on the way to the cemetery, for instance. And she appeared to me and told me precisely what I needed to do, what my, my difficulties were, and what it is that I needed to do for the family and for Haiti also. Hmm. And what did she tell you? Well, uh, for one thing, she told me something which other spirits have told me over and over again over the last 30 years. <laughs> uh, humility seems to be a problem for me. I'm not, uh, I'm not very humble. And I, I need to somehow do something about that. I'm not too sure exactly how to proceed <laughs> <laughs> along those lines. I'm remi- reminded of Mayor Koch of New York City, who was saying, how am I doing? How am I doing? Right, you know, right. you know, am I humble enough? I ask my students. <laughs> right. And uh, they think it's a joke, but it's not actually. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to teach myself these kinds of things. Uh, but... Um, in the family, if you go back far enough in time, down the centuries, there were always people who practiced the religion. Uh, you know, I even hesitate using the word religion because it's far more than that. It's a per- spiritual system. Mm-hmm. It, includes philo- yeah, mm-hmm. it includes philosopher, philosophy, technology, science, and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it invades all systems and fields. So when we say religion, it's not something that we do on Sundays or Saturdays. Mm-hmm. or Fridays. It is something that is that occupies one 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for ease of introduction, uh, tra- uh, we say religion, but actually it involves um, many more faculties than just that. Um, so your grandmother told you that you needed humility, and, and how did she, wh- what did she tell you about you know, what you needed to do, as you say, for, for your family and for even for Haiti? Well, she did She did not give me those gu- guidelines. My great-grandmother, actually, my grandfather's mother, yeah. uh, and uh, which is kind of interesting also because uh, my, my grandfather was known in terms of Haitian philosophy and politics. And, uh, he was um, as, Haiti's yeah. ambassador to the League of Nations, is that right? Uh, he was at the League of Nations in 1921. He was at the United Nations a couple of times. He was the Haitian ambassador to the United States uh, three times, I think, mm-hmm. ambassador to France. And he met Pope Benedict XV. No, this is... <laughs> Uh, Which one is it now, the 15th or the 16th? I think we're at the 16th now. The 16th. Well, he met Benedict the the 15th back in uh, in 1920 or 1921 Mm. uh, as the Haitian ambassador to the Vatican. Mm. Uh, And he he is known in Haitian literature, and students study him in class uh, as the pro-French, pro-Western, and classical writer in Haitian literature. His, his French was absolutely classical and pure, mm. and people know him for that. And so we, he was not interested in vodou. He was not interested in drumming. So I had to learn all these things much, much later in life. But now I'm sure he is happy with it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'd like to... I, because you are a scholar of this and you, you have the, a large view of it, I would like to talk about, uh, you know, where this tradition of voodoo came from, how it evolved, um, some of, you know, the context of African 
of African tradition. Um, but I'd like, as we do that, I'd, I'd like for you to, you know, feel very free to tell your stories, kind of, you know, pin it down to earth in terms of, you know, the big ideas, but then how you know that and experience that um, yeah, in yourself and, and in other people. So, because I, but I think it is a fascinating story that most of us, uh, you know, most people in this culture don't know um, these African religions, which were kind of transplanted to the Western Hemisphere. Um, <sighs> Yes, those traditions that started in West Africa and Central Africa uh-huh. are very, very similar, in fact. And in fact, uh, as part of the pagan world, they are very, very similar to other stories that we know about as well. Native American spirituality is okay. quite, quite similar to what we do in Haiti. And I do remember speaking to Native American professors on my campus, for instance, and have these men in the 60s cry openly in front of me and said, well, this is exactly what we say. I said, that's what I'm telling you these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the women, she was a priest, who trained me was a Haitian upper-class woman from the aristocracy. Uh, And she was a classical dancer, a ballet dancer, and she was... She had an MA in anthropology from the London School of Economics. She spoke several languages. Uh, and she taught yoga when she was too old to dance uh. in Haiti. In Haiti. Uh. She taught yoga. And she did a 40 year study of Hinduism. And mm. what she would tell me, for instance, and she trained me for the priesthood, among other women. Only women trained me, by the way. That's, uh. it's, it's not common necessarily, but in my particular case, uh, all the temples I've been associated with were totally populated by women. I was the only guy, one of two or three guys. Hmm. Uh, and she said, Patrick, you cannot imagine the connections between Hinduism and Haitian voodoo. <laughs> it was extraordinary. I begged her to write these things down. She would not write these down. Hmm. Uh, she did not want to do so. But <clears throat> she herself had been trained over long periods of time within Haiti as well. And her training came from people who were members of the of the peasantry, people who did not know how to read and write, people from the countryside, people from the rural um, slums of Port-au-Prince, for instance. And her training came from these folks. These are the folks who maintained the religion over the course of 500 years. Right. And these people, their, their ancestors certainly, came to the Caribbean almost literally naked. And so their knowledge was between, as slaves, Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely naked, literally as well as figuratively naked. But their knowledge was in between their two ears, and they were Mm -hmm. able to to maintain those traditions. Uh, A few years ago, I was in Benin. um, Now, Benin is, is, uh, people think, the origin of what we we now call voodoo, right? Sure, Uh sure. Well, actually, it's all Dahomey, the the Republic of Dahomey, which unfortunately has become the Republic of Benin. Right, what we now know as Benin, yes. Uh Yeah, now as Benin. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's the core of Haitian culture. In terms of the uh, of the heritage itself, not that there were not other Africans in Haiti. There were hundreds of different ethnic groups, uh, but somehow the core that mattered seemed to be from the from the old Dahomey region. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was there, and I was invited to speak uh, live on a national hookup throughout the Republic of Benin on on radio. And I had brought in, as I always do as I travel, Haitian CDs, Haitian music. Um, and the <clears throat> excuse me, and That's I okay. had the 
And so I, we played several cuts of Haitian uh, vodou music, liturgical music. And I turned around from the uh, glass booth, and there were a number of men out there, all middle-aged, all crying. Mm. And we talked subsequently, and they said, oh, my God, you guys remember. Mm. You remember, those are our drum beats, which are not recognized in Cuba, which are not recognized in Brazil, because those are other ethnic groups in right. Africa that created those religions. And so those are drum beats, and we heard the words. And we know it's not Fongbe, our national language. It is Haitian Creole, but some right. of the words were understood. We knew those words. And I said, West, we have maintained those traditions for 500 years now. Hmm. And they were quite impressed by that. So I got invited everywhere after that. Hmm. Uh, and it's really interesting to see this. And uh, at one particular point, at the end of my stay, after several weeks, the National Ballet of Benin was doing a, a public performance in front of hundreds of people. And on the last number, they pulled me on stage and I alone, and I started dancing. And I went into a deep trance. Um, and when I came back, because you don't remember, I had to ask what happened. He said, well, you, were, you went into a trance from one of the particular spirits of, of our system. Right. And I, they told me which one it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and after that, I went to greet the singers and the dancers and the, and the drummers, the musicians. And all I would hear is in French, He's from Haiti. He's from Haiti. He's from Haiti. I got hugs and kisses <laughs> from absolutely everyone. <laughs> and they said, we were not sure about you, but you belong here. Welcome home. Hmm. And please come back again. So my nickname after that was the African Albino. The albino African. <laughs> because you are uh, so light-skinned? Because I'm so light-skinned, yes. Uh -huh. I'm Which the is albino African. <laughs> but yeah. then that is also a characteristic of Aristotle. The uh, uh, Haitian aristocracy, aristocracy from Haiti. which yes. you, from yes. which your family belongs to. Yes, that's right. Oh, um, all right. Well, now, so, t so you, y you've just mentioned what I think is a very um, central experience, uh, uh, especially of of being in the Haitian priest, a uh, Haitian voodoo priest, which you are, which is that experience of having the spirits. Um, what did they say? Ride you or come, come yes. speak through you. All right. Yes. So let's, I mean, let's talk about what that means. There is a distinction for you between this word we would use in English, God, and the mm -hmm. spirits, but also a connection. So to talk to me about where the spirits fit into this. Uh, sure. This is a very important distinction, which is often lost mm -hmm. in, in, in translation and especially in terms of what Hollywood has done yeah. over the last uh, 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, African religions have always been monotheistic, always. This is not true of Greece, ancient Greece. This is not true of ancient Rome. But this is certainly true of African systems. Mm. And so they are monotheistic. However, God is immaterial in every sense of the word. God is an it. It's pure spirit that is so far removed from normal from people in general that um, uh, one does not pray to it. In fact, in the African traditions, there are no prayers addressed to the supreme entity. Okay. No prayers. What is your word for the supreme entity? <coughs> well, what's your in, word for in, God? In Haitian, in, in Haitian Creole, 
we have adopted the French vocable, and that would be bon Dieu, good God, bon mm. Dieu. Ah, that's uh, uh, bon Dieu, because it looks bon on the page Dieu. like B-O-N-D-I-E. Yes, bon I see. Yes. And that comes, okay. Uh, usually pronounced bon Dieu, if you're from I the see. countryside. Uh, there is another word for him as well, Gromet, the great master, the great architect. Hmm. And this, this is, I think, partly uh, the influence of uh, Freemasonry. Uh, Freemasonry has been terribly significant in Haiti and Haitian history over the years. Uh, huh. And so we use the word grand also. But there are no prayers addressed to grand or to bon Dieu. Okay. What we do is to address our prayers uh, to a number of spirits in the spirit world that are called loa, um, L-W-A. And these are deities, but they are not God. Uh, there are deities, and they have stories as fascinating as those gods in Greek, in Greece, or in Rome, and elsewhere. Right. Are fascinating, and they are pure spirit as well. But in order to manifest, they, they, they will come down at ceremonies and sometimes outside of ceremonies to address us. The person who is ridden by that deity does not know, does not remember uh, is 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 out of his or her body, as it were, and people will have to tell you later what transpired at that time, and so it it becomes quite exciting. As a matter of fact, one person who described it beautifully is in the best book ever written, I think, about Haitian religion, and that's Divine Horsemen, The Living Gods of Haiti by Maya Deren, huh. and Maya Deren, who died in her fifties. Uh, was a Russian Jew who was born in the Ukraine, came to the United States at four. She became extremely important in terms of avant-garde cinema in this country. She was also initiated into Haitian voodoo. She was also an anthropologist. She worked with Joseph Campbell and uh. the others. And in a chapter called White Darkness, she explains the process of going into trance and losing contact with this world. And it is a magnificent chapter. Uh, Maya Deren is one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, and she's been dead for quite a while now. I never met her, of course. Uh, but she, she goes through all of this in her book and establishes some very interesting connections. Do you have to be a priest to have that experience of being ridden by the spirits? No, no, no. Can, can you remember, could, could you tell me about the first time that happened to you? Or, or a very memorable time that, that happened to you? Well, people will have to explain to me what went on because I have, um, going through the experience, you have no recollection, mm -hmm. no clue that this is happening to you. But the very first time I went into a trance was for a female deity, a female spirit. Mm. Um, and, uh, and males and females go through trance for males and female spirit interchangeably. That's not an issue. Uh, gender uh, does not matter at all in the context of that spiritual world. So it's a, it's a free-for-all in that sense. Um, and Maya Deren herself went through several trances uh, when she first got to Haiti back in the 1940s. And she was not initiated. She did not speak the language. She had just landed in the country. Mm-hmm. But do you, let's say, when you, when you first had this experience, is this something you open yourself to? Is it part of a ritual um, or part of a ceremony? 
Or was it for you? Well, in in my particular case, um, uh, in some instances, yes, it was it was part of a ceremony uh, when I first underwent that particular process. Uh, it was a ceremony of initiation, mm-hmm. uh, and um, but uh, these things can affect you at any point, at any time, based on your receptivity uh, to the spirit world and also what the spirit world needs to do or needs to accomplish. Uh, For instance, the most spectacular one was in front of hundreds of people uh, in Benin in a public performance of an artistic performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I did not see it coming, certainly. And (laughs) I, I have no recollection of that particular thing. Uh, but uh, many people there recognized it for what it was, and they did identify that particular spirit. Well, my understanding from just reading about this is that there's, um, you know, you said earlier on when your when your great grandmother first appeared to you in dreams that she told you you needed humility, <laughs> and my understanding is that this process of the spirits entering one is one of a real uh, releasing of self. Right, that you yes. that you that you have to create the openness within yourself. It's it's a loss of control. I mean, you're describing a complete loss of control. You don't even know yes. what happened. Um, it's the equivalent of handing the keys to your car to a very good friend. Okay. And then hoping that the car will not be mangled and it will come back to you in one piece at some point, uh, because you are no longer the driver of that particular car. Somebody else is at the controls with the keys and gone away. And hopefully you will get your body back and you will get your car back. I mean, because, you know, I think uh, someone listening to this for whom this is a very new concept, and I think there will be plenty of people like that, would say, well, if this is, if this is real, if this happens, why doesn't it, ha- it happen to everyone? It seems to me it that can. it can. Yeah. Yes, of course it can. And you see, Afri- in the African-American church, in certain denominations especially, you have that every Sunday. You know, when the, the spirit comes down, right. the spirit manifests. And it's really interesting because when I came to this country 41 years ago, one of the things that I had fun doing is going to African-American Protestant churches. I felt totally at ease. I felt totally Especially, at I suppose, in Pentecostal churches. Exactly. Where, but and again, there's an, there's an, you know, what I'm thinking also is there's, there's an invitation in in yes. though in that culture uh, in that yes. in that worship service there's an yes. there's an openness to that happening yes that's right and i remember the first time i saw it in the pentecostal church and um, i am like a lawyer i don't ask a question unless i know the answer first <laughs> uh, and i said what's going on they said oh the holy spirit is here i said fine what's what's its name <sighs> it's the holy spirit i said it's too generic i know 417 and I need to know which one it is to recognize that spirit and welcome it in a proper sense. And then it was usually women, very seldom men. Mm-hmm. In Haiti, it's men and women. It doesn't matter. Did they have an answer to that question, or were you able to? No, they didn't, because no. it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, we have hundreds of Holy Spirits, not just one. Uh, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we have many more than that. And so, and it was usually a woman, and she was usually brought back down immediately. And you know, they would rub the third eye on her on her fore, on her forehead, and they would open up her hands and rub her palms. And I said, "Let her go, let her go. I want to see what happens next." But it was never fulfilled. It was never brought 
to oh, its I ultimate see. conclusion. So you're saying that someone would ha- be having that experience, but you felt that they didn't. There was another step they could have taken. Uh, there, there are many, many steps, many, and yes. I have seen, I have seen certainly in the Haitian context or the Brazilian context. I'm, I'm on my way to Brazil next week, mm-hmm. and in the Cuban context. And in Cuba, it's Santeria, yeah, right? Santeria. And well, it's kind of a nickname because it's Lucumi or La Regla mm-hmm. de Ocha. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santeria is a name that everybody knows, mm-hmm. uh, and Candomblé, mostly in Brazil. In and Brazil. Umbanda, mm-hmm. Umbanda in the urban setting usually, mm-hmm. and it's it's more of a combination of various things. Mm-hmm. Candomblé is more of the Yoruba system, uh, where I have seen people go into trance for hours and hours and hours and hours, and s- in some instances for days. It can last days. Uh, but in the U.S., in the Pentecostal Church, they bring you back almost immediately. And I want to see the Spirit express itself, <laughs> but I'm not given that chance. Um, let's talk about these spirits you know. Um, let's say, for example, you mentioned earlier a connection, a, a scholar who found a really, real affinity between Hinduism and, and uh, voodoo. And uh, let's say people, I- Hindus... Um, will often feel a special affinity with this, with certain gods, right? With certain deities. Yes, yes. Do you also have that experience? Are there... Oh, s- yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Um, uh, deities... Or your... Um, sp- I mean, uh, for in your case, it would yes. be these spirits. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, deities claim each and every individual, and different deities will claim you. And it, it, you have uh, one that becomes predominant, in terms of your mm-hmm. spiritual, um, your spirituality, but also in terms of your personality, but there are other spirits that interact with those, and sometimes you can have an internal struggle between various spirits. Spirits become prominent at one point, drop off at a certain point, depending on what you need actually to accomplish in life. So they might take turns, but typically, each and every individual on the planet has a particular spirit that will take care of business. And it's interesting, I said earlier, for instance, that one prays to the spirit world, not to the supreme entity, mm-hmm. but there is something else at work. And that is there are prayers in Haiti at religious ceremonies, and those are beautiful, magnificent prayers where we it's, we, we don't pray to the spirit, we pray for the spirits because they do need prayers as well. Mm. You see, who if if I I mean can I ask you is this something you can talk about spirit spirits for you who are important who have been important that those relationships between them a fairly large number of spirits actually and as a priest in Haiti uh, you are credentialed in calling every one of them okay. if you wish to do so. So there are hundreds and hundreds of spirits that you are, you are allowed to call because you've been trained to do that specifically. In terms of Cuba, in terms of Brazil, uh, this is different, where each priest favors one particular spirit and does not necessarily call upon <coughs> the others. But in Haiti, it's, it, it, it becomes possible to be initiated to all of them and to call upon all of them if need be. Uh, and f- some of those spirits have changed in my life, in my, in my 60 years of existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, those that were very significant 30 years ago have taken the second seat, and others have come forward, for instance. 
um, one that is terribly important to me is a female deity who's always taking care of me, uh, and that's um, um, that's Elzuli Dantor in the Haitian system, and she's represented uh, as uh, uh, one of the black virgins in the Roman Catholic Church, and she signifies motherhood, m- motherly love, mm. and she's always been exceedingly close to me. Uh, another spirit, uh, which has become far more significant over the past decade or so, is Ogum. Ogum in Brazil. And in Brazil, that particular spirit in a private home has come down and recognized me as his child. Hmm. And I was quite taken aback because I had never been told that before. Hmm. And since then, He's been a constant companion, which is interesting. He represents justice, and he hates injustice. Um, and uh, and uh, he is also a warrior. <laughs> and so he's become quite significant. And the combination of Elzuli Dantor and Ogu, Ogu Ferrai in this instance in Haiti, are the representation, the embodiment of the Haitian national flag, blue and red. And these are the two spirits that were very dominant in uh, prosecuting the Haitian War of Independence against uh, Napoleon's army, the French army in Haiti, more than 200 years ago. Uh, These were at the forefront, which is kind of interesting. Now, you mentioned, again, uh, you mentioned um, how a certain spirit is is represented also as there's a Catholic saint parallel, which is true. It's, this is fascinating uh, in Haiti and in, in Brazil and Cuba because the Catholic Church was so dominant there and that became intermingled. But it's, it's also an interesting way um, <clears throat> to think about how this idea of a relationship with a certain spirit, uh, though it may sound very strange, you know, to someone yes. listening. In fact, there's a very strong parallel among Roman Catholics who will associate personally with particular saints. Yes, yes, indeed. But, and how, so so tell me, you've, you've just mentioned these two spirits who, who you really, who are really part of your yes. identity, and it sounds like, in your daily yes. life. I mean, how does that express itself? Do you have representations of them in an altar, or yes, yes. In fact, b- before I forget, mm-hmm. Ogu Ogu Ferrai is Saint James. Okay, right there. You and Elzuli Elzuli Dantor, and there are a number of Elzuli. Those are water spirits, and that's Aphrodite, that's Venus, hmm. and those are water spirits as well. Hmm. As a matter of fact, Aphrodite and Elzuli Freda are identical in terms of the role the role they played in their respective mythologies. Mm. Uh, but uh, the, the Roman Catholic connection is terribly significant because it allowed African deities uh, an actual physical representation, I see. which did not exist in Protestant North America. You have that in New Orleans, where the Haitian presence was absolutely powerful over the last 200 years. You have the Roman Catholic saintly heritage in Cuba and Brazil as well. And that was to avoid certain levels of persecution. And so people could hide, literally hide, behind the Roman Catholic saints. But I remind people that Roman Catholic saints, all 10,000 of them or thereabouts, (laughs) are dead people mostly dead white people. Right. Deities were never people. Okay. And they were never born and they were never they they, ne- they never died. But it became interesting 
to to be able to cover up what it is that you did, <laughs> literally cover it up when the slave owner was approaching. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of the martial art, one of the most prominent martial arts that one finds in the African continent and in Brazil, capoeira, where people would pretend to be dancing instead of practicing martial art, very deadly martial art, when the slave owners or people in his retinue would come by. So there was this disguise. We wear the mask. Uh, and, uh, but in, in, with African-Americans who have uh, joined, I don't say converted, because it's impossible to convert. <laughs> African religions absolutely absolutely will not accept converts. It's kind of like Judaism. But you can't even convert in Judaism. In African religion, you can't convert to well, it. What do you mean by that, though? So you, what, you, what's the difference you, between joining and converting? Well, joining is you've been called by the spirit world. You've been called by it to fulfill certain functions. Uh, and so you, you become part of it mm-hmm. because you have that particular calling. You can't get up and decide you're going to do it. Um. I have, I have, for instance, there are a number of people who have approached me, and they've had to wait 17 years, 20 years, because I would not act upon it until I was certain that they were, they were really very, very much called by the spirit world in order to join. I know, for instance, deities that have told, that happened to a friend of mine in Brazil, who is a young Roman Catholic priest, Afro-Brazilian. Hmm. He was ready to join Candomblé. The spirits came down and said, no, we don't want you to join us. Your road in this life, and that gets into reincarnation, by the way, mm-hmm. your road is to become a Roman Catholic priest. So he became a Roman Catholic priest. I have, uh, I know of instances where the spirit told a person who wanted to join Vodou, no, your road is to be a Protestant. Hmm. This is your road. Uh, as a young person, I was absolutely interested in Kabbalah, the Jewish mystical tradition. Right. And I had collected many dozens of books on this. Uh, the Haitian spirits were rather stern about this. Uh, they came down and said, this is not your road presently. Your, your road presently is to do the African thing. Hmm. And so I had to abandon that. Let's talk about the complexity, <clears throat> the complexity of African deities. Um, you, you've said they are more complex than saints uh, in many ways. And one way is that saints... Um, are almost perfect people. As you say, it was someone who yes. lived, and what, what is revered about them is their goodness. Yes. Now, mm, voodoo spirits, deities, are much more complicated than that. Yes, and they are not perfect deities. They have their problems. They have their difficulties. Um, you, you're talking in terms of, a, of an imperfect world that mirrors our world. So whatever you see in human nature or in nature, because human nature is part of nature, Mm -hmm. it is literally reflected in the mirror with the other world as well, with the metaphysical world. And in fact, there are no distinctions present between the physical world and the metaphysical world. It is one world. So the world of dreams 
uh, what we consider to be metaphysical does not exist as a separate entity in the African mindset. It's all part of the same, of the same field, the same arena. Um, and so that becomes significant. Also, Haitian deities are neither good nor bad. There's no evil spirit. Spirits can be equally evil They're and equally both, good. Right? They're, They're both, right? They're yeah. both. And the idea is that you cannot eschew dealing with evil. Evil does exist, and you have to be able to control it. You have, able, you have to be able, as a human being, to control over evil, to have control over it. And you can work it both ways. But there will be hell to pay, if you excuse the pun. There will be hell to pay if you choose to serve in, in, in the evil side of things because it will hit you three times as hard and not just you but your family for generations to come. So, yes, you have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice good. and there are consequences. Yes. There, are con- there are no sins but there are consequences. Okay. Uh, the Brazilians have an interesting saying and I was reminded of this because I'll be there next week. There are no sins below the equator. I absolutely <laughs> love that because just find your equator on your body and what's below that. There are no sins. Huh. And when what we know of carnival in Rio and elsewhere, what we know of the Brazilian mindset, which is terribly African, about 80% of all Brazilians have African ancestry, although they do not admit that right. uh, for all kinds of reasons. Um, uh, there, there are no sins. There are consequences to one's action and consequences that will be reflected in the reincarnation as well because the one thing, the constant in African systems is reincarnation does indeed exist. What does that mean for you? I mean, how, yeah, how do you live differently? It means I've been here. I have been here many times before, mm-hmm. and I'll be there again. If I'm unlucky, I'll have to come back. Uh, and it's interesting because the one impact of the Western world on Haitian voodoo, the, world, the one big impact of Christianity on Haitian voodoo is that reincarnation has pretty much disappeared from the mental framework of Haitians. Now, if you push priests hard enough, they will say, oh, yeah, yeah, there's something like that. But we don't talk about it. We don't really know. We don't know how to, how to interpret that. In West Africa, it is a constant. It is there constantly, reflected in the names that one gives to one's grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Oh, yes, grandmother is back. Oh, yes, <laughs> grandfather is back. But in Haiti, <laughs> we have lost some of that. But I have talked to enough priests to know that in the back of people's mind, there is some residue of this. And that is the impact of, Christi- on, of Christianity in Haitian voodoo, I think. Hmm. You know, you used the word mythology a minute ago. I think the way you're talking about voodoo, we'll just call it shorthand or religion, but as you say, it's really much more than that, um, will sound to some people like fantasy, which is the way some people define mythology, yes. <laughs> right? Now, how do you, when you use that word, um, what do you mean by that? And what, what is the reality of that? How do you talk about the reality of that? There are absolutely magnificent stories that help explain our purpose and the purpose of the universe to individual human beings. And those things are not 
the reality, but they help us to understand the reality that we have to live in, uh, daily realities of life. And I think this is what's significant. I see, for instance, all stories of Genesis as mythological. We know there was no such thing as Adam and Eve. We know that. This is not what science teaches us. Uh, and the mythological stories of creation that we find in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and the, the creation myth that we find uh, amongst all Native American peoples, all peoples around the world, are very, very interesting. But this does not even start to approach science or approximate what we know in scientific terms. But they are very valuable stories. They are terribly significant, usually couched as wonderful poetry. Mm-hmm. And that is worth its weight in gold. We need those stories. We need those stories to survive. I see national histories. Go West, young men in the U.S. Mm-hmm. What we teach as U.S. history at universities, and certainly in high school and elementary school, has very little to do with history. That is mythological. Mm-hmm. You know, Thanksgiving did not happen the way we say it happened. Right. Those stories are <laughs> totally unreal. Uh, but they are significant in terms of civics, civic lesson, and in terms of developing patriotism amongst American populations who have very diverse origin. And I see those, those mythological stories in all religious systems as equally significant. You know, another book about um, voodoo that uh, I think um, opened this subject up in the scholarly world here was Karen McCarthy Brown's book, Mama Lola, about a yes. voodoo priestess in Brooklyn. You were talking about the complexity of spirits and the good and the evil. And there's even to me, because there are a lot of stories in there about Mama Lola's experiences of being ridden by spirits. Yes. There's one, um, and, and they're quite raucous. Right? I mean, that's yes. one word. It's theatrical is the word she uses. <laughs> Rock is his word. Uh-huh. There's a word, there's a, there's a god, a deity, Gade? Gide? Gede. 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 Gede, who, yeah. Who? One, of the, one of the dominant spirits in my world, okay. in my own self. Yeah. In your own self. So, all right. Yeah. So, what is this? He, he um, um, is part of the realms of sex, death, and humor. <laughs> yes. I mean, talk to me about this figure. This is so and, and those two things are intimately connected. Okay. Intimately connected. They are, in truth, yes, yes, but not usually yes. in religion. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, this is interesting because this is the crossroads. This is where the metaphysical plane intersects with the physical plane. This is the transition, the passage. And it's interesting that American news magazines now and, and magazines and, and newspapers will use the word transitions instead of, you know, we have those columns in Time and Newsweek, and it's labeled transitions. That's All right, where they report deaths and divorces. If you go back 20 years ago, we never used that word, never did. Hmm. They report people getting new jobs. That's a transition. Mm -hmm. And next to it, somebody died. It's a transition. Okay. Well, there is a difference between getting a new job and actually dying. (laughs) And it, it is a bigger transition, I think. But you see, death is not death. And birth is not birth because your eternal soul existed before your birth. 
it is not intrinsically connected to your particular physical body. Mm-hmm. So when you die, it goes, it goes on and eventually comes back, turns around and comes back in a very circular motion. But before your birth, you always were. You were never born as spirit. Every individual is spirit first, human being second. I think that we have an advantage over the, the spirit world, the deities, the loi. Uh, or in Christianity over angels, archangels, cherubim, and seraphim, mm-hmm. in the sense that they must be envious of us. They must be jealous of us. We have bodies. Mm-hmm. We can do things with those bodies. They've never had bodies. Mm-hmm. They can't externalize certain kinds of behaviors. So indeed, when they want to dance, they have to invade your body in order to do it. Okay. And to me... I think I have an advantage over the deities because of that. I'm able to dance. Hmm. And they, they like that. In fact, they want to see it as often as possible. And you see, if prayer is powerful, and we have scientists working on the idea that prayer might be powerful in science. Well, if prayer is powerful, when you sing it, it's that much more powerful. Mm-hmm. The, world, the word made flesh. But when you dance it, it really expands the territory that you can cover in that sense. Mm-hmm. And it becomes terribly significant that way. You see, and, and to go into trends, oftentimes in the Haitian context, you have to explode certain constraints. Drumming might help you do that. There are other paths to do this as well. It's not just drumming. But also, in, but it's a minor note in African, the African mindset, meditation. Hmm. Empty your mind completely, and you will go into a trance. Open yourself or to spirit. Over, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. You can do it through meditation, or you get can do it by exploding your mind through, uh, through a lot of drumming and a lot of activity. That can be achieved that way, too. So there are various paths to it. And when you talk about dance and this kind of cathartic physical experience as um, as part and parcel of your spirituality um, and, and of your metaphysics, um, right? The images that come to mind are not of um, Western religion, but very vividly of African culture, of Brazil, right? It, yes. There's a sense in which this, not just this understanding, this understanding, this practice, this entire sensibility is is lost in Western culture, a lot of it, as you say, not in African-American churches. I mean, you can find it, but in our kind of dominant culture and in kind of the That's Protestant right, yes. worship where you sit up straight in pews <laughs> and pay attention yes, and listen. Ex- exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, Jimmy Cliff used to perform his reggae music in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I heard him several years in a row, and he performed it in the beautiful theater that was big, built turn of the century uh, where the seats are too small especially for me now uh, where your knees abut against the seat on the front and I would get up and go to the aisle and be told by men with huge flashlights to go back to my seat immediately uh, because of some rules and regulations about fire hazards and that kind of thing perhaps I was going to combust uh, um, <laughs> you know, what's, what's that expression? I don't know. But it's very hard for me to sit in a pew 
or sit in a chair and listen to reggae music or any other kind of music. For that matter, it, it goes against the grain in terms of what my, my, my cultural heritage calls for. <laughs> and so it, it's quite difficult. But you see, uh, dancing is to me uh, one of those primal kinds of things that, that comes naturally with the body. Mm-hmm. When you see a black athlete uh, in the basketball court or in, in American football and whatnot, there is a certain elegance. There is a certain, there is a certain comfortableness with the body. You right. see, the body is not sinful. Right. We were not born. We're not conceived in sin. Sex is not sinful. There is no such thing as original sin. There is no such thing as heaven and hell, for heaven's sake. <laughs> uh, so none of these things exist as realities for us. So the body is absolutely wonderful. I say use it or lose it. And from that standpoint, if I don't dance, I just might lose my elasticity, whatever the elastic, you know, that word. (laughs) I wanted to, do we have to finish in five minutes or do we have a hard stop? I can't remember. Are we okay? Okay. 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 Um, Something we skipped over, I don't want to, I don't want to lose this. When we talk about, though, the 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 dark potential the evil potential that is in spirits um as it is in human beings um i wonder there there is also um i've i've seen the word sorcery associated with voodoo yes is that um a reflection of that and is yeah. that where this idea that that we have from Hollywood comes from about voodoo with people so. sticking pins in dolls. Of course. <laughs> now, the, the sticking pins in dolls comes from German and English witchcraft. But how did it get transplanted and associated with voodoo? Because, you see, in 1915, the U.S. Marine Corps invaded Haiti. And soon thereafter, Hollywood had to help the American government justify the takeover of the first independent black state in the world. Uh, the U.S. stayed there 19 years, and at the end of that period, there were 50,000 dead Haitian. But in order to make it a lot easier, to more palatable to the public, one had to explain that these people were evil and were worshiping uh, and were doing sat- satanic rituals. You know, Satan does not exist, but we do have a precept in Haitian voodoo, and it's a very powerful one in terms of the Haitian. When you look into the cosmic mirror, the image that looks back at you is the image of God. You look into the mirror, and what you see is God. It's your own face. That's what it is. And God, on the other hand, is not good nor evil. God is neutral. God is absolutely neutral. It, it's unaffected by goodness or evilness. And the spirit world can indeed use uh, all these things, and you can use them because you have free will. Is there, um, or is there black magic or what, what we would call black magic that is associated when that reflection is... One of darkness, of evil. Yes, I, I would like to call it white magic. White magic, all right. Yes, rather than okay. dark magic. Uh, magic is something that uh, occurs outside the realm of the common natural world. 
it is outside of it. Mm -hmm. People might do these things. It's very much outside of it. I personally would never indulge in any of those activities. But is there a, are there abilities that for you, um, let's say for a priest, for a Haitian priest or a voodoo priest or a practitioner, um, is there an ability, do you believe, to manipulate things outside of nature yeah. in that way? And, and you, you said the most important word there, to manipulate nature mm -hmm. outside of natural conditions. Mm -hmm. Yes, the opportunity exists. It exists in all people. But priests have a particular function and indeed can do that if they choose to do that. But the consequences will be extremely severe and will hit them three times as hard. What you send out hits you back, good or bad. And it will affect perhaps your children or grandchildren. They will have to pay the consequences for your own behavior that way. So most of us choose not to indulge. Okay. Um, let me just... Let me just, I haven't been looking at my notes. I've just been listening so closely to you. Um, well, I wish we had had more time to talk about the gay day, but that's for a different time, well, I guess. Well, talk to me about gay day. I mean, do that. I'd like to hear. Well, we have time, I think. Oh, they are absolutely prurient. It is, they will tell you <laughs> everything that's occurring when they, when they come down at particular ceremonies, and you may have 15, 20, 25 of them, different gay day spirits. So it's the same, some, so gay day is one spirit, but with different well, personalities yeah, or different? Different, different personalities, different, uh, uh, embodied differently. It's a whole family, actually. Right. One powerful female, one powerful male. And hundreds and hundreds of children from that same couple. And the particular origin are interesting because it appears to have been one particular ethnic group in West Africa that had been conquered by its neighbors and their punishment was to become grave diggers for everybody. Huh. That's not a good job to have anywhere in the world. And so in Haiti, the particular word gay they applied to that family of spirit. They are very powerful, obviously. They love children. Uh, and if you say death, you mean its opposite, birth. If you say old people transitioning, you're also talking about young children coming back into this world. They are prurient. They are very dirty in terms of their ex vocal expression. And it is sometimes I want to hide from them because they might tell me things that are very disturbing in front of a crowd about <laughs> sexual this and sexual that. And I would rather not hear it personally. Uh, but they are very prurient uh, and they are gaudy. They dance beautifully, and uh, it's it's very brutal in terms of the dancing. All right. In terms of it's very sexual, uh, but the proximity of death. Uh, friends of mine who are physicians, friends of mine who are nurses in intensive care units in the United States, tell me, Patrick, this is for real. The proximity with death will excite these kinds of feelings in doctors and nurses and even visitors to intensive care units. Hmm. So you, you go home and you do things that perhaps uh, you should not do. And all right, so in the West, religion is associated with morality. Now that word means different things to different people. I think it may have been 
you know, it, it is narrowed in our public vocabulary at times. It's clearly open yes. to lots of interpretation. But how Indeed. do you think about, the, you know, morality as a as a function or virtue or right living? You know, I'm using different yes. words in different traditions yes, in context with voodoo. And then, you know, with this image of these, as you say, these prurient gods who are very important and dominant. Yes. Like, uh, right living is an outcome, but it is also a quest, right living. But let me give you one illustration in terms of showing you how it works there. Abortion is not a good thing in Haitian voodoo. It's not a good thing. On the other hand, you've got to do what you've got to do. And then you will argue your way out of it with the spirit world later. They might actually understand the conditions that led you to doing this. It's not a nice idea to to have an abortion, but a person has to do what a person has to do, and it is where it is. And this applies, generally speaking, to all kinds of other moral dilemmas that each and every individual faces in life. Okay. You've got to do what you've got to do. Then we'll argue about it because you can argue with the deities. You see it actually in ceremonies. People are arguing hmm. with the deities, sometimes not in a kind way. I want to ask you about this concept of knowledge, uh, connaissance. Is that how you say it? Connaissance, connaissance. connaissance. Yeah. A French um, word originally. Clearly coming but, from yeah. French, yes. Um, yes. Now, uh, here's a definition I read, it's, and it, this would be the knowledge of a priest. You are a priest, so I'm, this is something I'm assuming you have an experience with. In a, the definition I read is an ability to read people with or without cards, to name their suffering, to heal. Yes. Talk to me about that. Um, other people may have it as well. It's not limited to the priesthood necessarily, but there is training. And you see, it's not, you don't go to to a seminary and after four years you have a diploma and Mm -hmm. you're a priest and that's it. Uh, The training that I have undergone over the last two decades will never, ever end. There is no end process Even after death, I understand. Exactly. Even after death, I continue in that particular road. And so, but other people can have it as well. And you know, you're talking about religions in terms of a pagan religion that go through stages of initiations, and there are many, many, many stages of that. It's not something that has a beginning nor an end. It goes on forever. And connaissance in the Haitian meaning of the word is esoteric knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, for instance, I have a statement in Haitian Creole at the very beginning of one of my books, Fragments of Bone. And when I came up with that statement uh, 10 years ago, uh, it had a set of meanings to me. And the other day, I picked it up and read it again. I said, oh, my God, I saw new meanings in something I had known about for a number of years. I saw new things in it. You knew it then more deeply even. More deeply. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. More deeply. And so one of the problems with Haitian voodoo is that we in the West tend to rely on what people in the streets who practice it know or think. And if, for instance, I want to study uh, Protestantism uh, or Roman Catholicism and any branch of the Christian religion, unless I'm doing research on what common practitioners do 
in the streets, I will not usually go to them. I will study St. Augustine. I will study the doctors of the church. I will look at the theology, buttressing those particular belief systems. But typically, in terms of African anything, we go to the lowest common denominator. And the lowest common denominator, uh, the persons who are there doing their thing and do it usually fairly well, have not been trained. They're not the doctors of the church. Mm. They cannot give you the nuances uh, that you find in the theology, say, of the Roman Catholic Church. But do they have so the, an intuitive yeah. knowledge that is... They have an intuitive knowledge, as all human beings have an intuitive right. knowledge. But it's like a garden. You still have to right. to, to, to build on that. You know, uh, it's interesting because what we call weeds to me are not weeds at all. Uh, I love dandelions. I, I'm totally <laughs> entranced by them, and I hate it when people go out of their way to destroy dandelions. They make wonderful wine. The greens are wonderful. They are flowers to me, mm-hmm. but flowers in the raw state, what makes a rose a rose and a dandelion and a dandelion? I love them both. Can you, do you have an ability to, to read people, as this, as this yes. other definition goes? I mean, do yes. you... Do you and and do you, and that is something you have cultivated as you've cultivated yes. in your garden of, of, of <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. Of spiritual I think gifts. So. I have also seen young children uh, able to read people. A small well, child right, yes. who is not verbal yet will know whether an adult like ch- likes children or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that we breed out of children together with special friends that they have that are invisible to the rest of us. Mm-hmm. We breed that out of them. Uh, and for instance, first impressions are very powerful. I have said as an academic, as a scholar, as a university professor, I ought to give people second, third, and fourth, and fifth chances. Mm-hmm. It does not even work mm-hmm. if you ask a student to redo an exam. If she has not done a good job in the first place, she may never be able to do a good job. It all depends. Mm-hmm. In a very similar sense, if when I have given people a second chance, it has come back and hit me. The first impression was very powerful, and it was good enough, even without talking to that person. Okay. Seeing a person at 15 feet and being able to tell you intuitively what that individual is all about. And something we haven't talked about but I think is very central is is that this is voodoo is is all about healing, right? Yes. So is that the purpose of knowing about someone? Yes. Um, you know, an awful lot of people have told me from all spiritual traditions, uh, older Jewish ladies have come to me, uh, Roman Catholic people who walk up to me in the streets and say, you should be in the healing professions. You should be in the medical field. And that worked on me for a number of years. I said, maybe I'm in the wrong line of work. Then I realized I teach at the university. That means I'm a healer. Mm-hmm. I'm giving to students what they need. They may not like it. They may not want <laughs> to hear about okay. it. It's like a pill. And it tastes bitter, and you have to swallow that medicine. But I tell them, keep at it. In 15 years, you will recognize what it is that we're trying to do in this class. Uh, You may not know it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now I'm satisfied that teaching is part of the healing profession, and we're all in need of healing. 
I um I think I have kind of a final question or two. Before I ask that, though, I want to ask my producers behind the glass if they have questions that have arisen for them or maybe something they'd like to hear you say a little bit more about. So I'm going to be quiet for a minute, and then I'll, I'll be back. I'll be listening in my headphones to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, I guess, you know, I would like, this is a question, just maybe would you tell us one story, a, a story that's vivid for you? Um, you? You say that when the spirits enter you, obviously you don't remember it, but people tell you. I mean, tell me something that happened to you that other people described to you so that we can really get a picture of, you know, what this is like and what effect it has on those who are who are present and then also now, what effect does it have on you later even if you don't remember it it must leave some kind of imprint on you well there, there is certainly after you come back from that particular process a sense of well-being and i've never heard in terms of haitian history and haitian law that anyone has ever been damaged okay. by having gone through the process of trance uh there's a story i was told by someone and she swears that it really happened. I can't vouch for it personally. Okay. That there was a woman in a wheelchair who went to a trance. She leaves her wheelchair, walks around the room, talks to various people, tells them what they needed to hear. And eventually, as the spirit departs, she's paralyzed again and has to be sat on her chair. And my first reaction was to say, well, maybe she should have stayed into the trance state forever. <laughs> uh, but she stood up, walked around, and then she became paralyzed after the spirit departed. Mm-hmm. I have heard these kinds of things. I have seen women in their 80s dance and jump mm. and climb poles and climb trees in, in, the, in this state of trance, something that they could not possibly do uh, when they were totally themselves uh, but and and but the the teachings that one gets from talking individually to these people to these spirits is incredible sometimes we'll pull you to the side and talk to you for an hour or two hmm. and you uh, every time I have asked for advice I was personally always given superb advice they were never wrong they have predicted deaths in my family People were not even ill at the time. They have told me all kinds of things. And this is, by the way, one of the specialties of the Gedi spirits. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and because I have a very close affinity to those particular spirits, and it shows in my dancing, and it shows in my dirty jokes, uh, <laughs> okay. that, uh, and people sort of think and say, oh, my God, he must be connected to those particular spirits. And they are right when they say that. Um, and um, so that, you know, remember the film The Sixth Sense yes. where that little boy goes around saying, I see dead people, I see dead people. It took me years to see that film. My student said, you have to see it, you will like it. Mm-hmm. And I said, I see dead people. And I said, so what? Right. It, a You're lot right. of us see dead people. So right. what's the problem with this? Yeah. Well, that child would have been immediately initiated 
in the Haitian context because he has a special gift. And if you're closely connected to the Gede family of spirits, you are able to see dead people. (laughs) (laughs) And you talk to them. (laughs) and And you know, that is an experience that many people report having mm-hmm. conversations, having dreams that are not dreams with yes. people they love who've died, and yet our culture has no way to assess or That's right. or, or interpret or give validity to that kind of... But mm-hmm. there's so many reports of it. You're talking about that being kind of embraced by this yes. religious yes. tradition. And I'm not afraid of dead people. As a child, I was afraid of drumming. I was afraid of snakes. I was afraid of going to funerals. I was afraid of all these things. Now I embrace all of this. It doesn't scare me at all. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of pain, but now we have morphine, so I'm okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm okay with that. It's the pain that precedes death that is an issue. Death is not the issue uh, at all, and it has not been for a number of years. But, you know, I, I see dead people whom I don't want to see. Uh, people like Ronald Reagan coming to me with certain kinds of quests hmm. and issues. And I don't want to talk to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> uh, I don't want to, call, uh, to talk to General Charles de Gaulle. I don't want to talk to Babadoc, Francois Duvalier. Hmm. Uh, and these people come to me. Uh, I would rather not discuss certain things with them because I have other fish to fry. I have other things in my mind, but to talk about people I didn't like right. in life. I'm praying that Farwell does not come to me. <laughs> well, and, okay. This is kind of getting at something I wanted, a place I wanted to go next. I'm sure you're aware of this. And so we've been speaking, you've been speaking to me and I've been inviting you to speak as much as a practitioner and a priest of voodoo as, a, as an academic. But you are an academic. You are an intellectual. I'm sure you're aware. I guess so. you're, I'm sure you're aware of this genre, this new genre in American culture: Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, mm-hmm. which are really saying that the entire religious enterprise is, you know, is a crutch that human beings have relied on; that it doesn't have validity; that that the more rational and scientific and mature we are, we will let go of this. Now, th- that critique is mostly aimed at the monotheistic traditions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam present events. But I'm sure they would also say this. I mean, what you're describing is not rational, right? Yes. Um, by, by a kind of Western scientific definition. So I'm, I'm curious how you, what is your response to the extent that you feel your religious sensibility is, yes. is, un, is threatened or is criticized by that? What is your response to the, mm-hmm. those kinds of arguments? You know, we've heard it before. Karl Marx said (laughs) that religion is the opium of the masses. I think he was wrong. Now we have Hitchens uh, and other atheists saying the same thing. That's really interesting. Uh, And and conservatives saying that. What Karl Marx said is being asserted by some conservatives today. To me, that's quite revealing. When you look at Albert Einstein and a number of very incredible um, scientific minds. Mm-hmm. They were believers, ultimately, but they did not believe in the God as defined in the, in the book. They believed in a different kind of a God. And that's quite interesting. Albert Einstein was very clear on that. Cosmic religious f- sensibility. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that was Albert Einstein. Uh, that is not the God, the, uh, um, the God of Abraham. That's a different God. And you see, African religion has never had a problem with actual science. Mm-hmm. Because in African religion, all African religions, it says 
and this is the predominant note. All things are energy. Right, and that is, now, you could say that yeah. that's being affirmed by modern science, yes, that Exactly. That the idea. physicists yes. will tell you all things are energy. What's the difference between religion and physics is that in African religion, all things are conscious energy. We're now finding out that even at the cellular level, there's memory. Each mm -hmm. cell of our body mm -hmm. has forms of memory. Uh, We're now finding out, according to Time Magazine and Newsweek, that rats have consciousness. God forbid, <laughs> rats and mice. I had to kill a mice once, a mouse once, and I'm still agonizing over it. Mm. It still hurts mm. because I had to kill it. Uh, and so all things are energy. Evolution makes sense within the concept construct of African religion. So there's never been a problem there at all. Okay, and that but that's the that is the, you're right. That is the god you described the the great deity, the great god that you described at the beginning. It is very is very much like the god Einstein spoke about. Yes, not yes. not in, involved in daily life. But in Christianity we have a personal right. god. It's a person we pray to. He looks like us, usually like an old white man, right. which does not help people who are black-looking right. at all, right. at all. But, but, um, but some would say that, that, let's say, Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the world, or is it the, I've, you know, I've read, the poorest country in, yes. in the Western Hemisphere. Yes, it and is. Some might yes, say is. this is a perfect example for Marxist theory, that this is the opium of the masses, or maybe Dawkins, you know, saying that it's, it's a crutch. Yes, 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 uh, of course. And for some people, I'm sure it is a crutch. Mm -hmm. For some people, certainly. And it's really interesting that an awful lot of PhDs in Haiti have now recognized their attachment to Haitian voodoo. And it's not just a cultural thing. It's not just uh, they're trying to be Haitian about it. But there is a deep sense of spirituality, which some of these educated people in the country now have come to, to have, have reached a conclusion that this is the way to go. But, you know, think of India, deeply spiritual. Right deeply poor. The Middle East is full of turmoil, has always been, at least for the last 2,000 years. And uh, look at Native Americans. There is a sense of spirituality mm -hmm. which certainly transcends abject poverty. Mm -hmm. People like Maya Deren, the avant-garde filmmaker, yes. uh, a number of individuals, uh, scientists, and people of that ilk have gone to Haiti and have seen the beauty beyond the poverty. Right. The poverty is unbearable. Uh, but there is something else at work here. And that, I think, is what one never sees on the news, right? Yes. What one sees is our pictures of poverty. But what yes, you're indeed. saying, so some would say, well, this religion is implicated in the poverty. You're saying... Something it's different. not implicated. In the, it's interesting because they say, well, only Protestantism could have given rise to capitalism. Well, it's interesting because capitalism evolves essentially at the, at the earliest time in the city-states of uh, Italy. 
uh, and that was Roman Catholic. That was not Protestant. Max Weber talks about other kinds of things, mm-hmm. and Protestantism and, and uh, capitalism and Protestantism go hand in hand. I don't think so, and I, I don't think they are doing any favors to either Protestantism nor uh, capitalism to join those two together. I'm not too sure that this this is a good thing to do to okay. start with. Um, but it, it, it goes beyond. It transcends. And uh, sometimes one has to be poor in order to see certain things. I was trained oftentimes largely by illiterate peasants in Haiti. No shoes, no education whatsoever, can't read, can't write, starving to death. I sit literally on the dirt at their feet, and I keep my mouth shut. And they'll say, well, you have a PhD. Don't you tell them? I said, I don't tell them anything. Yeah. They are my teachers. They are my mentors. I have, frankly, nothing to say to them. That would make an iota of difference. I listen to these people, and these people are learned. It's not because you've gone to school that you're educated. Mm-hmm. And I see, certainly, in terms of number of PhDs that I have encountered in the U.S., they are really the most stupid people I've ever met. <laughs> uh, and it, 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 a PhD has nothing to do with intelligence, nothing to do with it. It's how many hoops were you able to fly through. Uh, and I have met people who couldn't read and write, who were absolutely brilliant and understood what the deal was. Mm-hmm. What the deal was, what... What it means to be human, what what exactly <laughs> what it is to be fully human, and it is to accept the pain and the joy at the same time, and remember that African American slaves and other slaves in the Caribbean enslaved africans they they were really lambasted for dancing even on the auction block, and African American culture is vibrant. It is recognized around the world. Jazz is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Gospel music and everything else. It is a joyous culture in the midst of a tremendous amount of pain and struggle for freedom, which still lasts till now, 2007. Right. People are in pain and agony in the ghettos in this country. But there is a joy that you find in that population nonetheless. Yeah. All right. This is my last question. Um, your own, your great, your great grandfather, who we spoke about earlier, who was my a grandfather, great, actually. your grandfather, who was a great philosopher yes. and statesman in in Haitian history. Um, he was an intellectual who said that voodoo was primitive, that Christianity was superior. I wonder. Um, maybe you do converse with him. I, you know, I wanted yes. to ask you what. How would you talk to him about how you have now decided to give yourself to this religion, and both as a as a human being and as a scholar? Well, it's really interesting because I was very, very close to my grandfather growing up. Uh, I um, benefited from his library in his home in Port-au-Prince. He had tens of thousands of books. Uh, he knew a number of people from his days at the League of Nations and elsewhere, one of his visitors had been W.E.B. Du Bois, for instance, right. and others. Uh, and Jacques Maritain, the French philosopher, who'd come to his house. And uh, he, uh, people are telling me, well, he must be spinning in his grave. I said, not at all. He's quite satisfied that I'm making amends for him, <laughs> for the kinds of things he refused to recognize. Huh. He also thought that anything having to do with Africa was no good. 
all the way down to his kinky nappy hair. Well, mm -hmm. I'm quite proud of my nappy hair. I'm nappy-headed. Mm -hmm. And so was he. And I remember my mother saying, because uh, in terms of the immediate family, I'm the darkest child she had. And she used to complain as a, when I was a child of my nappy head. Mm -hmm. And her other children have straight hair, good hair, it's called, mm -hmm. in the black world. Mm -hmm. And I would look up at her, you know, uh, I was very small looking up. She had the same kind of hair. So if my hair was bad, her hair was bad, I was a bad person, she was a bad person too. And you see, he was pro-French. Uh, it was a family that was light-skinned, had been light-skinned for a number of generations, and would make very, very sure that the entire family for generations to come would stay light-skinned because we're not going back to Africa because that is savagery. Right. Well, Africa does not mean that to me at all. When I wanted to get my mother angry as a child, I would say, Mother, I love them drums. <laughs> and she would say to me, Oh, God, why can't you like the violin? Huh. The violin is much better. Uh, uh. And I would say, Well, you know, I hate violence. Uh, but on her deathbed, literally, I would put some Haitian music. And that's the bed she would never get out of. Mm. She was moving. Mm. She was days before her, her, her death. She was moving to the tune of Haitian drums. Mm. 